right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word to the book of Acts. I'm going to be reading chapter 19, verses 8 through 20. Pastor Chris uh, continues his series here in Sowing Gospel Seeds. Again, we're going to read chapter 18, verses 8 through 20. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we are gracious today that uh, that you sowed seeds broadly so that we might come to know you. We ask that you would use this message that Chris has prepared God, to uh, get our hearts ready for this week. Um, Lord, may we just be ready to uh, sow seeds both uh, through the words of our mouth and through the giving of our resources. We just ask that our hearts would uh, be joined to yours in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good. How far have we come in sowing gospel seeds? How has it been going? How far have we come? And I'm not talking about the series. I'm talking about our lives. Uh, As you know, Zach Werner, uh, leader in our church, is also a teacher and coach at Liberty High School. And he he works in our and leads our Alive Student Ministries. And uh, he shared with our youth this story. And I just enjoyed this, Zach, and so I'm going to share it. He had a student in his class this week, and here's what he says, who was carrying around a to-go container with a half a pancake in it. And so I asked him why he didn't just eat the pancake but was carrying around a to-go container. And he said, I have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings, and we meet and have breakfast. And I want people to ask why I'm carrying this container, and then I can tell them about my Bible study. Isn't that great? That is just awesome. Uh, So are you going to go to the Bible study now that you asked? He told you about it. That's Yes, that is awesome. That's sowing 
with abandon. So I hope you're taking steps, baby steps, next steps in doing this. That's what this series is about. It's not about uh, learning. It's, it's also about applying. But in this series, here's how far we've come. We've learned to sow with gospel abandon, as you see, with gospel accuracy, with gospel power. And this morning, we're going to learn how to sow with gospel boldness, gospel boldness. Now, if you look at verse 8, it, this is what begins this whole passage of Scripture. It says, he, Paul, entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly. Now, sowing the gospel with boldness is a, a, a theme throughout the book of Acts. And so what does it mean? What does sowing with gospel boldness in the book of Acts mean? And it simply means this. It's sharing the gospel openly, fearlessly, confidently, and authoritatively. If you if you would trace the meaning of that word and you would look at its use in the book of Acts, you would see that those four components are what makes sowing the gospel boldly. We share the gospel openly, out in public. We're not ashamed. We, we don't separate our Christian life from our daily life. We don't have this group of friends that we talk this way and this group of friends that we talk another way. And we don't leave our Christianity here at church on Sunday. It goes with us Monday through Saturday. Fearlessly, we're not only unashamed, we're unafraid. To speak out boldly is willing to face the consequences for speaking the name of Jesus. And that means ready to receive rejection, ridicule, even retaliation. Whatever that is, fearlessly. And then sowing the gospel confidently, not because we're confident in and of ourselves, but we're confident in the God that we know. We know what he did in our lives, and we want to see him do it in the lives of others. And then authoritatively. We do it because we know that the risen Lord has said to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when you look at that definition of boldness, that's a pretty bold statement about boldness, isn't it? And so before we get into anything, I just want you, don't panic. Don't panic right now. Don't shut down right now thinking, well, that's not me. Why? Because boldness is not a personality trait. Boldness is not a personality trait or us trying harder to be bolder. The last thing I want you to do is leave here trying harder in your own power or thinking I'm not bold, it's for the person next to me, or for you to think, hey, I'm a pretty bold person, I'll go out and do it in my own power. We don't get off the hook if we're shy this morning because it's not about you. We don't get to do this in our own power if we're extroverts, because that's not going to work. We're going to see that this morning. We don't become bolder by trying harder. I want you to get that message. So don't panic, but be desperate. You can be desperate. Be desperate and pray. Because we can't do it, we pray to the one who can enable us to do it. Boldness is the fruit It's the fruit of God powerfully at work in us to bridge the gap between him and people far from God. It's the fruit of God at work in a actual Christian 
and not an almost Christian like we talked about last week. We can and we should pray for gospel boldness. In fact, Acts chapter 4 is a classic example of the church praying to God, let us speak boldly, and he shook the church building saying, I will do that. You see, boldness is what God gives to us, does in us, and works through us by His Word and Spirit. So here's the third thing I want to give you so that you can rest easy and listen to the rest of this message. Depend on King Jesus and His Spirit to sow gospel seeds with boldness. You depend on King Jesus and His Spirit. Why? Because boldness is how actual Christians sow the gospel when they are word-fed and spirit-led. Okay, this is how it's done. As you are a true born-again Christian, an actual Christian, and as you feed on the Word and are led by the Spirit, you will be bold regardless of personality, regardless of fears and anxieties. The Spirit will do it through you. So, now, now that we all know this message is for all of us, here's what I want to do. This morning, this is a great passage. We're going to see three facts about sowers, posers, and the fame of his name. Sowers are in verses 8 through 12. Posers are in verses 13 through 16. And the fame of his name is the climax of the, pa- climax of the passage in verses 17 through 20. So I want to give you three facts about sowers, posers, and the fame of his name. Fact number one. Sowers are bold and powerful. Sowers are bold and powerful. You see, sowing with gospel boldness has powerful influence. If there was one word I'd write over this whole passage is powerful influence, okay? And we see that demonstrated in five ways, okay? So the powerful influence that we ought to be praying for, we ought to be looking for, we ought to be begging God for is seen in five ways. First of all, proclamation of the gospel. It all begins with proclamation of the gospel in verse 8. As I already said, everything that flows out of this passage begins because Paul is bold to proclaim the gospel. And we know Paul is bold. Why? Because he's going into a Jewish synagogue in Ephesus to say, Jesus, the one the Jewish people crucified, is your Messiah. That's not going to go over well. In fact, you know this is Paul's third missionary journey. And on each journey, he had a a commitment, uh, a doctrinal and theological commitment to go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And so in the first two journeys, he would go to a city, immediately go to the synagogue, preach the gospel with boldness, and then promptly be run out of town, sometimes stoned and left for dead. And then as he ran out, as he was run out of town, he would shout the gospel to any Gentiles along the way. And then he would go to the next city and repeat, you know, rinse, shower, whatever that is. I don't know. I don't wash my hair. Repeat, whatever that is. All right? So, here's in fact, let me read this. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.2, Paul really captures this pattern that I just told you. Here's what he says in one of his earliest letters to one of the earliest churches that he planted. 
1 Thessalonians 2, 2. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. This was the pattern. Now, what's interesting is that here in Ephesus, the pattern changes a little. And if you remember, at the end of the second missionary journey in Acts 18, Paul had a quick uh, stopover in Ephesus, and he went immediately to the synagogue, and things went surprisingly well. He's like, you know, where's the stones? You know, what's happening? Why, why aren't you running me out? And he actually stayed there uh, for this little time, and things went so well that he said, look, I've got to go. God has a plan for me to go to Jerusalem. And the Jews in the synagogue said, no, stay with us. And he said, I promise to return if it's God's will. And here in Acts 19, verse 8, indeed, God was willing, and indeed, Paul kept his promise. And so he comes back, and he's received so well that he stays an entire three months. I mean, you know, he's like, wow, you know, again, why am I, why, why am I not being run out of town? No, he's staying there for three months. But here's the second powerful influence. When you proclaim the gospel that boldly for that long, you will see the second powerful influence. Number two, conversion of the lost. Conversion of the lost. Look at verse 9. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples. There were Jewish and God-fearing people coming to Christ. There were disciples being made. Now, here's what I want you to understand. One of the most powerful influences of the gospel is that it produces disciples and not merely decisions. What's the difference between a decision and a disciple? Well, a decision is something you do in the past, and your heart is not changed, and the Spirit does not dwell in you. Your life is not changed. In other words, you made a decision. You may have heard the gospel. You may have said some profession of faith in Christ, but it was all up here and not. In other words, a decision is an almost Christian. A disciple is someone that makes a decision, but they actually trust in Christ and the Spirit transforms their heart so that they not only believe in the past, they continue to believe and their life is changed. In other words, they become different. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here's what disciples look like. Here's the difference between being a disciple and just making a decision in the past. Look at verses 18 and 19. Many also of those who had believed, believers are disciples, disciples are believers, kept it. Well, let me just stop right there. Believe, had believed. Well, Chris, that sounds like past. But actually, in the Greek that it was written in, the tense is they believed in the past, but they continued to believe in the present. It had lasting belief. And not only lasting belief, 
but there is present transformation. Look at what it says. They kept coming. They believed in the past, but they kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. In other words, their belief in the past was still making a difference in their lives in the present. They were cutting ties with their past sins. And it didn't matter if it cost them financially. And these guys aren't being Nazis and book burners and burning other people's books. They're saying, look, I need to make a break with this, and I want to make a break with it in such a way that I don't return to it and others aren't corrupted by it. I'm getting rid of it. That's what disciples do. Now, sowing with gospel boldness, proclaiming the gospel leads to conversion of the lost. But second powerful or the third powerful influence is separation of the saved. Separation of the saved. Did you see that in verse nine? These that were converted, it says, but when some believe, when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, Paul withdrew from them and took away the disciples. Here's what I want you to understand. Even though Paul had a better and longer reception among the Jews in Ephesus than any other place he had been, all good things come to the end, and that's because the gospel either hardens hearts or softens hearts. The gospel either hardens hearts or softens hearts. And it will either, either way, the gospel always has a powerful influence on the hearers. Think about the sun. The sun shines and it has power to either melt or harden. If it's butter, it melts. If it's clay, It gets rock hard. And that's what the gospel does. Some were being hardened by the gospel. And they were choosing to be disobedient. And it's interesting. In verse 8, Paul says, uh, the Bible says Paul was trying to persuade them. And then in verse 9, it says some were disobedient. That's the opposite of the word for persuasion. He was trying to get them, persuade them to step across the line from unbelief to belief. But some were not persuaded and they were rejecting Christ. And in doing so, their hearts were hardened and they began to slander the way. Now, in the book of Acts, the way is Jesus. The way is salvation through none other but Jesus. And so when they are slandering, they're slandering the Messiah. They're slandering the message about the Messiah. And they begin to attack the messengers, which wouldn't have been just the Apostle Paul, but Priscilla and Aquila, they were also there uh, sowing the gospel with boldness. They began to spread lies. Now, that caused a separation. Paul, Paul is saying, look, okay, these guys have now, uh, some have accepted Christ, but they're getting hard and we need to separate. Hard hearts cause separation, but also so does changed lives. And if you look in verse 9, he took away. And that's a significant word. He took away the disciples. 
He's making a decisive break with the synagogue. So here's what I want you, and maybe you've never thought this, but, you know, Paul always went to the Jew first and then the Gentiles. So is that what our missionaries should be doing? You know, should we be finding a Jewish person to witness to before we witness to non-Jews? No, because at this point in God's redemptive plan, in this point is the break to where Paul says, okay, we're going to no longer do the synagogue thing. We're going to the hall of Tyrannius. We're going to rent a spot at the mall and we're going to set up shop there where Jews and Greeks can all come but we're going to be on neutral ground because the gospel is now for everyone. And so he takes them away, and there is a separation. Now, beloved, please understand that when we preach the gospel, there will be a separation. Some will harden and reject. Some will soften and receive. And those that receive gather with God's people to become more like Jesus so that we can scatter to win more people to Christ. And when we win more people to Christ, we gather them through baptism and church membership to become a part of the people of God. Are you with me? So I want you to see that this separation is not an isolation. Hey, you're saved. Now come over here in the holy huddle Hang on, Jesus is coming. You know, I know it's crazy out there, but hang with us. That's not the idea. It's, hey, come gather and worship the living God and be further transformed so that we scatter out. So there is separation, but there is not isolation. They are welcome to come to the school of Tyrannius. Now, this guy's name means tyrant. You know, what was his parents thinking? Uh, you know, hey, you little... T- now, we all say, yeah, you know, understand. But, I mean, this was his name, surely. This wasn't just what, what this mom was saying. This was the name, right? And so, more than likely, this guy was a philosopher, and he owned this building. And probably his students gave him the name, nickname, Zach, of the tyrant. Okay, I don't know what your nickname is, but, you know, that's what was going on. And so, Paul, most likely, is working in the mornings as a tent maker with Priscilla and Aquila, and then in the afternoons when everybody is in siesta and when the, the hall is emptier, they said, hey, let's rent them to these crazy Christians. And so he's teaching there very likely from 11 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon. And we see that the separation was not isolation. It was to stay on mission. Isolate, separation from the lost to stay on mission to the lost. And that resulted in the fourth powerful, uh, the fourth powerful influence, and that is number four, expansion to all peoples. Expansion to all peoples. Verse 10 is proof that this wasn't a separation of isolation. It was a separation to stay on mission. Look at verse 10. This took place for two years. Paul had never stayed anywhere that long. This is a whole different transformation of the mission. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You see, he's not leaving the Jews behind. The point is, 
We are now the people of God. We are now the local church on mission. And we seek to share the gospel with all people. So if you're here this morning, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how you identify yourself. I don't care who you're going to vote for in November. It does. All those things don't matter because the gospel welcomes all of you. And this church welcomes you to be transformed by the gospel because it can meet you exactly where you are. All of Asia heard both Jew and Greek. By the way, this is why there was a church in Colossae, because Paul made disciples, not decisions, and disciples were sent to Colossae, and they planted a church so that when Paul writes the letters to the Colossians, he says, you've never met me in person, but I know of you, because my disciple, Epaphroditus, that's how the gospel spreads. That's how it spreads. Now, the fifth powerful influence is this, authentication of the risen king. Authentication of the risen king. Now, look at verses 11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Now, what in the world is going on there, okay? Well, here's what's going on. The king is being authenticated. Look in verse 8. Paul is preaching the kingdom of God, and here's what he's saying. The chosen Messiah, the anointed king has come, and he is Jesus. He died, he resurrected, he ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's giving the gifts and the power of the Spirit to his people. And I have now authorized my apostles to share this message and herald this message to you. And to authenticate that, they will perform miracles that only I and God could ever do. It's authenticating that Jesus is the Messiah, that the gospel is true, and the messengers who share it are his ambassadors with authority. Now... The point is simply this. Jews needed this to know that God had truly chosen Jesus. The Gentiles in Ephesus needed this because Ephesus was this epicenter of pagan worship, idolatry, magic, and saying names that see demonic influence spread. And so... God is allowing Paul to perform these miracles to spread the fame of Jesus' name. I'm getting ahead, but that's what's happening. Now, notice it says extraordinary or unusual miracles. That's kind of redundant. Miracles are not ordinary. These are extraordinary, extraordinary miracles. Are you with me? Now, in the Gospels, Jesus was able to do this. Remember the woman that grabbed his robe and was was healed? Power went out from him. Remember earlier in Acts where Peter was so empowered by God that people would try to lay sick people just so his shadow would pass over him and they would be healed? Well, here what's happening is people are taking Paul's work clothes laying them on sick people, and they're being healed. Now, you know, you lay my, you know, most people's work clothes, you lay on people, they're going to pass out, right? But this is Paul, 
And I never realized this. You know, hankies and aprons. What is he cooking? What's what's going on here? No, this is his sweat cloth that as he's making tents in the Mediterranean heat, he's wiping his face, setting aside. People are grabbing that and running that and laying it on granny and she's healed. And his apron, his the apron he wore as he made his tents. Now, I wish I could, you could preach a whole message on why, why would God do that? And I don't know what your job is this morning, but I want you to know. The point is, you don't have to be a super apostle. You just need to be a true Christian who is word-fed and spirit-led. And God will use your occupation and profession to see lives changed. A work apron and a sweat cloth. Because it's not about the sweat cloth, the apron, or technically even who it belonged to. It's about the God who can perform those kind of miracles. So let me, three observations quickly. These are extraordinary even for miracles. The focus is not on the miracle, but on authenticating the messenger and his message about the Messiah. And then third, even in Acts, during this transition period of miracles, the responsibility of the people of God is not to perform miracles, but to proclaim the gospel with boldness. And here's what it says in Acts 4.29. The church is gathered. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, all boldness, same word, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your Holy Spirit, uh, your Holy Servant, Jesus. The point is, they said our responsibility is not the miracles. Ours is proclaiming with boldness. We're going to proclaim with boldness You do the miracles. And the greatest miracle, please hear me, the greatest miracle is the transformed heart of conversion. And that's what he's going to do. So I hope you see the message. Sowers are bold and powerful. But anytime God is doing a work, Satan tries to deceive and tries to imitate that work in order to lead people keep people in their blindness, and lead them to eternal damnation. And so we see the second fact of this passage. Posers are bold but powerless. Posers are bold but powerless. You see, sowing with gospel boldness can't be imitated. We see the powerful influence, and people are tempted to imitate it, but you can't imitate it. And so in verses 13 through 15, we see these odd guys, the seven sons of Sceva. I call them the seven posers, people who want to come off as powerful but are really powerless. Now, let me just give you a little background. They're traveling exorcists. What's that mean? That means they go from place to place to get paid to deliver people from demons. Okay? They're prophet people. They're businessmen. They are Jewish exorcists. They even claim their father, Sceva, was a chief priest of the Jews. Why is that? Because what they're, it's to bolster the fame of their own name. It's to push. It's a marketing ploy. Why? Because they, they could say, look, you know, there's all these false gods. 
And, and everybody knows their names. But we're Jewish. And we know the name of the one true God. The name Yahweh. The name that's so powerful, so holy, you can't speak it. Our people don't write it. But for the right money, I'll say it over Granny and I'll heal her. I'll say it over your demon-possessed son and he will be delivered. You see, they were in the world of Ephesus, of the temple of Artemis or Diana, which was the epicenter of one of the greatest cults filled with magical names. And, and, and in fact, there's these things called the Ephesian letters. They were so famous for it. You would go to Ephesus, buy a parchment. It would have all these, these magical incantations. It would have all these powerful names on it, and you would pay money for it, and then you'd take the Ephesian letter, read it over your loved one, and they would be set free. So here is what these posers do. They were smart businessmen. And when they heard about the miracles being performed by Paul in the name of Jesus... They wanted to get in on the action. So here's what they do. Look at verse 13 in your Bibles. They attempted to name over those with who, whom had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. See, they knew all these other names. And so they heard this name, and they said, pay us, and we'll name this name. But they attempted They are bold enough to speak the name of Jesus, but they're powerless to overcome the devil and his demons. Look at what happens in verses 13 through 16. Okay, it says, it says they, they attempted, verse 13, to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure or I, I command you, I swear by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 15, and here's how the evil spirit responds. He answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. Paul, I know about him, but who are you? Wow. Wow. Notice what the posers say. I swear by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They had no relationship with Jesus. They had no connection with Paul. Jesus whom Paul Paul and Jesus have a connection. We don't have a connection. We're posers. We're just throwing these names out, hoping that we can make a profit and something will happen. Notice what the demon says. Who are you? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? Do you realize the demon has a better and more accurate knowledge of who Jesus and Paul is than the posers do? Why? Because just saying religious names or repeating or or counting beads or repeating ritual names, even the names of Jesus over and over in prayers, does nothing, does nothing, means nothing if you don't have a relationship with him. And if you have a relationship with him, you don't have to count beads. You don't have to repeat his name. You just simply say, Father, in the name of Jesus, help me. You see, the demons had better knowledge, but they were no more saved than these posers were. So what do we learn here? 
what do we learn? Actually, I think I missed a point for you, didn't I? Posers appear religious, but they lack a living relationship. They lack that living relationship. The second thing we learn is this. Posers attempt to be bold for the fame of their name. Posers attempt to be bold for the fame of their name. These guys named the name of Jesus whom Paul preached for two basic reasons, personal gain and personal fame. Personal gain and personal fame. You know, posers today still attempt to do the same thing. They go to church. They make a profession of faith in Jesus. They say their prayers. They may even read their Bible, but they do it all for what they can get. They do it for the fame of their name. They do it to fix their problems. They do it for their agenda. You see, posers lack a living, loving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, by the indwelling Spirit. So posers do spiritual things to get power from God for themselves, maybe even for the ones they love. But God's Son and God's power are never, are, are, have, have never done the greatest work of all. That is the conversion of their heart, the transformation of their lives. So what happens to the lives of posers? Number three, posers prove to be powerless and fail to prevail over self, sin, and Satan. See, you can profess Christ and you can be a poser and you can fool everyone, but you won't fool God and you don't fool the devil. That's the point of this passage. That's the point of this passage. Posers will eventually be exposed for what they really are, powerless. These guys are to be exorcists, and yet they're enslaved by demons. They are are exposed as naked. They're stripped and run out of the house by the demon, and they're shown to have no power. It's all a pretense. They're stripped of their posing. They're stripped of their pretense. They're exposed as wounded without any power to heal themselves. You see, they went to deliver someone from a demon, and they themselves were under the power of the demonic, which everyone is, until you come to Jesus, who sets you free. You see, the posers were exposed as powerless, and they were exposed as posers. Look at verse 16. The demonic man leaps on them, subdues them, overpowers them, chases them, strips or shames them, and wounds them. But the most important word here is overpower or prevail. It means the demonic man, the demon, ruled over them. Ruled over them. They claim to be exorcists, but they themselves are enslaved. They claim to know God, but they're stripped of their pretense. They claim to be healers, but they run out wounded. They claim to be powerful, and they're shown to be powerless. Are we posers this morning? Are we saying things, but showing by our lives that we have no power over sin? that we have no power over our selfishness, that truly we are still a child of the devil and not a born-again child of God. You see, sowers are bold and powerful, but posers are bold 
but proved to be powerless to prevail over sin, Satan, and self. You see, posers have nothing to offer the world enslaved by sin because they're enslaved. They have nothing to offer the world who's under the control of the devil because they're still under the control of the devil. They simply can't save anyone because they haven't been able to save themselves. But you know, as sowers who are born again, we have more than something to offer the world. We have someone, someone who is Jesus and he's all powerful. Amen. And so the third fact I want you to see this morning is Jesus is Lord and all powerful. Jesus is Lord and all power. This is in 17 through 20. Sowing with gospel boldness has powerful influence that can't be imitated because God is the one. God is the one who gives the increase. See, it's all about him. The name of the Lord gets all the fame in this passage. Look at verse 17. The name of the Lord gets all the fame. This became known to all. What? How Paul is so powerful, how the posers are not powerful. It became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. You see, when we we sow with gospel boldness, and people are converted, and separation takes place, and, and transformation takes place, the fame of his name is spread among all people. Listen, 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 beloved. The lost world doesn't need our memes, our updates, our political views. They don't even need us, technically. What they need is him. They need Jesus, who is Lord of all. Now, we bring him to them. We point them to him, not to us. Sowing with gospel boldness spreads the fame of his name, not our name. And why does he get all, why does his name get all the fame? Number two, the word of the Lord does all the work. The word of the Lord does all the work. And man, look at verses 18 through 20. Lives, people are believing in the past and they keep believing. They, they get transformed in the past and their life keeps changing. And as God reveals sin, they confess it. And as they realize I'm in bondage to this, they burn it. They get rid of it. And their lives are being changed. And the result is verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And that word prevail is the same word up there of the demon. Either the demons are prevailing over you or the word of the gospel is prevailing over you. Wow. The power of the word is seen in the changed lives of these believers who continue to believe, continue to repent of sin, and continue to not be sinless, but sin less and less. Recently, I read an update just this week from a couple who has been here in the past for security. I will not say their names, but they're in Berlin, and they're reaching out to Muslim immigrants in that city. And they are bridging the gap 
to Muslim refugees, and they are sowing with gospel abandoned. And in this update, they both shared, husband and wife, how they're separately witnessing to two different people in Europe, postmodern Europe, Muslim background, Muslim, Muslim immigrants in that city, and they both shared the same testimony. And it hit me between the eyes at realizing this passage as they are witnessing to these people and they realize they are Christians, both a man and a woman ask one question. What difference does this make in your life? You see, they they weren't worried about Christianity and Islam and politics. What they wanted to know was one question. What difference is this making in your life? And posers don't have an answer for that because it's not making a difference. Sowers who are truly born again have an answer. And it begins back at that point where they accepted Christ. But they also can say, this week is how my life was changed. Listen, if your testimony is 20, 30 years old and you don't have anything this week about the risen Lord saving you from your sin and changing your life, then you've got to ask yourself, am I almost Christian? Am I a poser? Because when you come under the rule of the risen Lord and His name is spoken over your life and His word prevails over your soul to save it and sanctify it and someday glorify it, you will be changed and you will look different and there will be separation, there will be rejection and we separate but we don't isolate because we gather to scatter to sow gospel seeds. Who gets the glory when we sow with gospel boldness? The name of the Lord gets all the fame because the word of the Lord does all the work. So I end with two crucial questions this morning, and here they are. Are you a powerful sower or a powerless poser this morning? I would challenge you. I would challenge you. If you question your salvation you, you, you take that communication card that's in your pew and you say, I have questions, I need answers, I want to meet with you. And if you're confident enough in your knowledge of the gospel, Jesus can save you right now. If you'll just say, I'm turning from my sins, I'm turning from trusting in myself, and I'm just trusting wholly in Jesus, Jesus, save me right now. Let us know. Let us know. Because we would love to help you grow in that relationship. But if you do know him this morning and you're not a poser, but you're a sower, then let me ask you this. How is your life and witness spreading the fame of his name and sharing the power of his word here in Kansas City and around the world? How are you making a difference? How are you making a difference? So now what do we do? We go so with gospel boldness. We take this And we don't just leave it here. We scatter and we share it. And we see the Lord do what only He can do. And then you come Wednesday and you connect with these sowers who are bold and powerful. And you find out that they have sweat cloths and work aprons. That they're just normal people just like us. But you're going to hear how sowing with boldness transforms lives. So I hope I see you son Wednesday at 7 p.m. In the meantime, let's respond to this this morning. Let's do what the Ephesian believers did. Let's confess some sin. Let's forsake 
some things that are holding us back. And let's renew an obedient faith to sow the gospel beginning as soon as we leave these doors. With every head bowed, with your heads bowed and with your hearts bowed, praise team's going to come and they're going to sing a song about this holy God whose son is the Lord of all and who is all-powerful. And I would just challenge you to let the Spirit do what He does, and He's going to transform, He's going to change, and He can empower you regardless of your personality, and He can save you no matter what you're enslaved to, no matter how confused you are. Even if you don't fully understand the issues, He can reach in there and bring sanity and stability and salvation to your soul this morning. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do, and it's for the fame of your name.